This is episode number 70 with Lisa Federman of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Go, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan and I am your host coming to you live from Melbourne, Australia. Once again, we've got another epic episode coming your way. This one's with Lisa Federman. And this is one actually I did quite a while ago. You know, I interviewed Lisa probably this time last year. And I just had to share with you, it was just kind of these one of these ones that I, I I don't know what happened to it. Like I've done so many interviews, I've done over like at least I think probably closer to 200 now. And you know, we've got a lot for the magazine, we've got a lot for the podcast, we do all sorts of things with the blog. So you know, this was one that was kind of hidden away in the treasure troves that I uh, was just looking at, at, you know, what what do we got coming for you guys? And I was like, yeah, that one with Lisa was really, really good. I, I think we should definitely share this. Uh, so who is Lisa? She's the founder of NomaQ, and that is a device that allows you to cook food that is sous-vide. Now, I'm not going to go too much into the details. I'm going to get Lisa to share this with you, which she does very, very well in this episode. But long story short, she's created this amazing company. You know, they've done crowdfunding really, really well. They've generated over half a million for one of their crowdfunding campaigns. And their second one, they generated over three quarters of a million dollars. And, you know, they're just doing some really, really cool things. She's got an amazing story. She's got some really tough times and some really interesting things she shares. Her and her partner even considered selling her kidney, their kidneys at one point. Things were going like that tough. But uh, yeah, look, a lot of gold to be shared, especially when it comes to validating a concept, especially when it comes to, I guess wanting to raise capital for your idea through crowdfunding because uh, these guys do it very, very well. So they're super resourceful, a lot to learn. 
that's it from me, guys. If you are enjoying these episodes, please do take the time to leave us a review. Uh, if you go to foundermag.com forward slash review podcast, I've actually created a really, really cool uh, you know, step-by-step guide or step-by-step landing page that shows you exactly how to do that. And you know, this helps more than you can imagine. Tell your friends about the show. Tell your friends about what we're doing. We're here to help, serve, and equip entrepreneurs however we can. All right, let's jump into the show. I usually start this interview with a simple question, and that is, how did you get your job? I think ultimately what brought me to what I'm doing today is definitely because I cannot do anything else. Like, this is the only thing I want to do, and if I tried anything else, I would be really, really super miserable. And how did this end up happening, that you're the CEO and founder of NomiQ? Can you tell us a little bit about your business? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I had just graduated from school, from university, um, I saw a really tall dude at the gym and he thought I was making eyes at him, but I was just staring. And he said, you know, well, he, we went on our first date and he was PhD in plasma physics. And I was like, wow, you really don't have money to be whining and dining me and vice versa. So let's just watch Top Chef at home and I'll cook for you. And so we would just alternate cooking for each other. And then one day um, while I was cooking, I lamented about how, you know, there's this one thing that separates restaurant quality food from home cooked food. And that's the sous vide machine, you know, that huge hulking immersion circulator. I was like, I wish I could have it, but it's like thousands of dollars. It's huge. And it's completely hard to use. And he was like, you know what? I'll just make you one. So from there, we made our first ever prototype. And can you give our audience a little bit of an insight on what sous vide is and uh, a little bit about more about Nomicu and how it works? Because to be honest, I'd never heard of this style of cooking. And I like, you know, uh, tonight I'm going out for uh, me and my girlfriend's three year anniversary and we're going to this, you know, really fancy restaurant. It's um, Spanish tapas food. It's called Movida. And yeah, I'm a little bit of a foodie too. So can you give us a little bit of an insight around the concept of cooking and, uh, you know, how Nomiku works. Yeah, there, I mean, there's a, there's a big reason why you've never heard of it. It's because it is every Top Chef's secret weapon. <laughs> so it's really simple to do. So this machine gives you control over very, very exact temperatures. All you have to do is put your food inside of a zip bag, remove the air, and then put it inside the water. So what my machine does is that it clips onto any pot that you already own, it circulates the water to a precise temperature, and then you drop in your bag of food. That's it. Yeah, look, it, it looks really cool. I, I can never get my steak cooked at the correct, I guess, heat. Uh, and the, uh, what do you call it? The uh... Yeah, the, at the exact heat. You know, it, <laughs> the secret ingredient, the most important ingredient in every kitchen is heat. And, you know, all artists control their medium with special tools. If you're a painter, you have special paintbrushes. If you're a chef, every single piece of equipment you buy, the majority of it besides knives, is basically to to control your medium of heat. You are Mm. a heat artist when you're a chef. Mm. And now I'm making it super, super easy 
for everybody who wants to cook well and eat well to control their heat. And it produces amazing results. Like at 57 degrees Celsius, steak becomes perfectly medium rare. Edge the center pink perfection. The fat and the collagen melt into the muscle, effectively marbling it. It's so juicy and good. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I saw the Kickstarter video and it just looked <laughs> awesome. Um, I was going to say, so can you tell us about, you know, your your boyfriend or, or husband, I'm not sure, sorry. A husband now. Yeah, husband I'm now. A, you have a baby too. Oh, wow, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. So your, your husband, boyfriend at the time, made this prototype for you and how did what brought you guys to running this big startup now out of San Fran? You know, it, it is a supernatural progression. My background is that I, I went to journalism school because I wanted to live a different life every week. You know, I wanted to be where you are, talking to different people, feeling inspired. I don't want to sit behind a desk all the time. Mm. So that is like already my personality. Same thing with Abe. I mean, he... Out of all the things you could do, you become a plasma physicist. Uh, like, you know, you know how to do nuclear fusion. So you're not, you're thinking definitely outside the box, right? So when we first created this, it was just so exciting. You could feel like the momentum behind you that you created something really cool. You know, sometimes you get that mm. feeling like a wind behind your back. So that's what happened. And then we created, you know, we made dishes for all our friends. And they immediately want a machine, so we hacked together machines for them. <laughs> and then we're like, hey, you know, we could – how do we get this out to more people who are like-minded? We, you know, just went on Twitter and, like, put it out there. Hey, who wants a sous vide machine? And then we would go to random people's houses, like cheese makers and stuff, and make them a sous vide machine to help them make cheese. <laughs> And and so we went to uh, the next step was that, you know, at the time there was a new computer that came out, a new little brain that you could play with. And it was called Arduino. So we took a class in a makerspace on how to deal, you know, how to make Arduino work for us with our sous vide machine. We learned how to do a logic board. We put together a kit and we sold hundreds of these kits to makers. But the caveat was that you needed to know how to solder in order to make a sous vide machine. And I would have so many people email me or come up to me and be like, hey, um, so I bought your sous vide machine and I don't know how to solder. And I would just like, you know, drive to their house and help them make their machine. And one day we just decided to just quit our jobs and really, really dive in. I see. And can you tell me about how you got your first hundred customers with that first initial version? The first hundred customers that we got with our DIY open source kit was basically all through meeting them in person. We went to makerspaces and hackerspaces and taught classes. This was a big one. The classes covered the cost of the kit, and basically that was it. And then we went to Maker Faire, and we had hundreds of people come to our booth, and an NPR journalist was there and gave us our first break. Oh, okay. And at what point in time did you guys know that you had to quit your jobs and, and pursue this? We moved to San Francisco from New York and Abe had a job during the day and I had a job at night. I worked in a restaurant and Abe worked um, as a chief physicist of a startup. So we never saw each other mm -hmm. and we were engaged to get married and we were kind of not happy that 
we didn't get any FaceTime anymore. So one day we were just, you know, tired of not seeing each other. So we decided to spend every moment together and just quit our jobs. It wasn't more like the product was ready. It was more like we were ready to just be together. Hmm. And <laughs> when you first started NomiQ, when was that? 2012. Like you, 2012. Yeah, okay. we started in 2010. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Wow. So this has been in the pipeline for a while. And can you tell me when you guys quit your jobs, was the Kickstarter campaign the first thing you conceptualized to fund the the production or, or how did you go? What was your first step? Like what, because a lot, a, a lot of our listeners, not all of them, they would be in a, a similar position where they want to start something, they don't know where to start. They're just about to start something and they, you know, just lacking direction. So can you give us an insight around you know, what the game plan was, were, were you really strategic about it? Uh, you know, what were the next steps were after you quit your job or, or what? I'm curious. Well, well, here's exactly what happened. We quit our jobs and we joined an accelerator program in China called Hackcelerator. We were the first, like we were basically the guinea pigs. We lived in China for three months just running around like chickens with our heads cut off to factories asking them, can you make this? Uh. Yeah. And then um, we had to go back to New York early because we had planned our wedding then. And, you know, gen one generally does cut out of an accelerator program early mm. <laughs> for their wedding. <laughs> so we went back home and we begged our wedding videographers, can you please help us make a Kickstarter video? And after our honeymoon, we threw it up on Kickstarter. Mm, yeah, no, and now this was a super successful campaign. Um, it be, it was the number one most, the highest that's ever been raised in our category in food. Wow. And uh, what was your goal? Your goal was 200K mm -hmm. and you guys raised? We raised almost 600K in 30 days. Wow. And last year we had our second Kickstarter project where we raised 750K in 30 days. Wow. So you guys must have, you guys probably had your validation because you'd been working on the product. You went through the accelerator, you'd sold a hundred prototypes of the first initial version and you, you know, you've, you've given to your friends, they all want one, but you really, really got some massive wins on the board with your, your Kickstarter campaign. Would you, would that be safe to say? Oh, absolutely. I mean, investors wouldn't even Investors were like, what the hell is sous vide before? Ah, okay. So you were looking to raise capital before you went to Kickstarter? Oh, we actually tried. I mean, that's that's like the way, right? So we definitely tried and nobody would give us the time of day. Mm. And when you did the accelerator program, um, did any of the mentors or they would have had access to investors, they, they weren't interested or was it because you finished finished up early that, that you didn't get to that stage or? Well, you know, the accelerator program puts in money for you to go. It gave us 15K. Now they give people 100K, but we were the first ever batch and they gave us 15K for the whole accelerator program. We went deep into personal debt. Mm. And how did it feel when, when you went into this debt? Oh, basically, basically the worst. <laughs> you know, there, there was a time when we were sitting in a subway station and I um, said seriously to my husband, hey, um, I can go back to America, sell a kidney 
and then come back with the money. <laughs> are you joking? Are you serious? I'm serious. He convinced me not to. Which oh my is, god. Which is great. But we were so close to finishing. I was like, hey, we just need a little extra money and I could just sell a kidney. And I know that way I can get 15k for a kidney. That's what it says on the internet. Wow. And what what kept you going during this really hard point? Oh, we took a vacation. <laughs> <laughs> we took a vacation to Thailand with our last like bit of credit on our credit card. In Thailand, I mean, I have always wanted to go. The food in Thailand is amazing. And you know, one of our students from from one of our hacker spaces, he was a Thai native and we knew him as a chef. So I told him all about Namiku. And then when we landed and it, he picked us up for breakfast, he was like, hey, you guys know that I have a design degree from RISD, an industrial design degree from the best design school for industrial design in the world. Wow. And I also happened to be, you know, a classically trained chef. I was like, whoa, want to come back with us to China and be our co-founder? And he said yes, obviously. Yeah, he said yes. And so he joined the ride as well. Mm-hmm. And that's what kept us going. I see. And you're... Your third co-founder, is he with you guys now in San Fran? Yeah. His name is Bam. Okay, Bam. Okay. So I'd really like to unpack the Kickstarter piece because you guys, like you said, number one in the food category, you know, what what did you do that, like besides having an epic product, something, you know, that really solved a need and is there anything currently out there like the Nomicu? Yeah. Did you did you ever look or, or you just... Yeah, of course. Yeah. I'm hyper aware of what's out there. This mm. is my baby. I mean, yeah, sure. Um, there are people who copy our form factor, but nothing's as small, as safe, as well-designed. But we definitely kicked off a movement, a home mm. immersion circulator movement. And there's thousands and millions of people who want to join. Yeah, Wow. So you guys were first to, first to market with this in this space. That's right. I see. And I'm curious, just kind of off topic, how do you handle knowing that people are ripping off your product? Does that? Oh, you know, I I think they really mean well. These people honestly should be my best friends because they care about the same thing as me. They mm. care about good food and they want people to eat better and they make they make the same if they make like similar thing to uh, to me. I mean, they should re- really actually be my best friends. That's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> and did you ever think of patenting that your technology? Yeah, we have we have a we have a patent in the okay. works. I see. So then how are these other people coming up with like imitations and stuff like that? You know, honestly what I think is that First of all, it is extremely flattering. It's awesome. And also the majority of people, I mean, you're you're a pretty smart guy, aren't you, Nathan? You haven't heard of Suvi before. That's no. the case for a lot of smart, awesome people who love food. And we're, we're all just growing the pie together. It's not like I'm it's I mean, it's not like I'm Apple and somebody's Microsoft. You mm. know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. It's just like we're all trying to grow the pie, trying to make people aware what sous vide is. Sous vide is awesome. Mm. Okay, so let's talk about the crowdfunding piece because, yeah, I, I really want to touch on that. Like you guys absolutely rocked it and you rocked your second one. You know, what, what's the secret sauce? What, what, what can our audience learn from you 
that really, really helped just light a fire under both of your campaigns besides having an epic product? Well, there's, there's two big things that are completely immutable in strategy of launching, a, of launching a crowdfunding campaign. One of those is launch no later than a Tuesday in a week. So don't launch on Saturday, Sunday, either launch on Monday or Tuesday at the beginning of the news cycle of the week. The best time to launch is Tuesday, 9 a.m. EST, Eastern Standard Time. I mean, that is on-comment advice that people should know. You should move with a news cycle. If you get picked up for news, you're going to want to have the whole week. Okay. And what was the other law? The other one is have 100 true fans. 100 true fans? People who will put down money the moment you launch. Work your email list. Knock on people's doors. Call people that have been to your classes, have bought your initial product, and tell them about what you plan to do. Make 100 of those people promise you that they're going to put down money. They're going to click on your campaign. They're going to share your campaign the moment you put it up. And then the algorithm of the crowdfunding site is going to put you on the front page. Now, I love crowdfunding. The thing is, it's really hard to browse crowdfunding projects. You need to be on the front page. And the way to get there is through this strategy. I see. And did you guys use any other like uh, marketing tactics as well? that uh, would would be of value to our audience? In regards of like marketing, it really, really depends on what kind of product you have. What I say that I did will not make sense for you. You know, like if I, I'll say that I went to food blogs mm. and I wanted them to try it out. I'll say that, you know, I, I called up chefs from around San Francisco to try out our prototype. I don't know what will work for you, but these are the two rules that I know that we definitely tapped into hard and we saw that it was very successful. Wow. So once you got your funding, I'm curious, what did you need the money for? Oh, the money for R&D? Well, the funding. Okay, so Kickstarter funding is to build your product. It's not to grow your startup. It's not so you can hire people. It's not so you can have a place to live. It's not so you can pay yourself. It's for product only. And if you if you have a well-funded Kickstarter, that does not necessarily mean that you're going to be able to pay yourself. You might not even make any money on a $1 million campaign, especially if it's hardware. Yeah, okay. And I'm curious, what happened next? Can you tell us through the whole whole phase of, of, of bringing this product to life? You said you went to China. You, you, you yes, we, we, yeah. we lived in China for two years next to our factory, learning how to manufacture, you know, putting up our lines ourselves, sitting on our line, iteration after iteration. Because having a new product is near next to impossible not to leave your factory. Our product was so revolutionary. It had never been made in the history of this earth. So we had to make it. And that meant that we lived next to our factory. Wow. And uh, so, the, so yeah, directly after you got funded, you went back to China to live next to your factory. Yes. I see. And what were the biggest struggles that you've had on this journey besides considering to sell your kidney because you guys were low on, low on credit? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so many, too many. I think, uh, I think an entrepreneur's life has so many ups and downs. 
And you just need to learn how to control yourself through the highs and lows, which I've gotten better at. Mm. So now it's like I'm wearing different glasses now talking about, you know, what happened before. But I guess the biggest struggle, definitely trying to be lean in a manufacturing world that was completely, you know, waterfall method that was not lean, Mm. that didn't, that wasn't conducive to starting up, you know, manufacturing in China is for, is a game for um, very, very big companies. It's not very conducive to lean manufacturing. And so that was the struggle. I know, I know kind of what you're talking about, but at the same time, I don't. Can you give our audience a little bit, like unpack what lean manufacturing is? And, and are you referring to this, this way of building from, from the lean startup by Eric Reese? I, I am. He bases the lean startup on the Toyota manufacturing method, mm. which is fast iteration. Like if you find one problem, you are able to stop your line and redo that's what happens with lean manufacturing. Like you don't manufacture 10,000 units at once. You manufacture one batch, you test it. You test it for um, engineering verification. You test it for production verification. Like if your line is correct, human error, like all those things, you really can't small batch in China or it's very, very hard to, and it requires extra effort. It requires your boots on the ground. I see. And that's and that's how you guys rolled. You did always small batches, then iterate, small batches, then iterate, but it was very difficult, I understand. Yes, yes. You have to you have to get the full support of your contract manufacturer. And that requires a lot of wrangling. Uh, I see. But you wouldn't have done it any other way, right? Well, we had to learn what it was all about. Mm. You know, if we didn't have this experience, we wouldn't have this breadth of knowledge. And I'm so happy. And I mean, I'm wearing the glasses of (laughs) where I am now. Mm. But I remember, you know, there are nights when all you could do is like just cry yourself to sleep. And after the two years went through, you've got this product. Did you fulfill your order date, your promise that you made on Kickstarter for your timeline? Oh, we had a few delays, which is definitely, you know, not good. But the great thing is that we got to ship out the product that we wanted to, you know, great quality that people loved. Now, you know, the White House uses us and so does Noma, the best restaurant in the world. You know, it's like we submitted to our promise that we would make the best machine that we could. And I think that one was the most important promise to fulfill. Hmm. And I'm curious... How did you handle that? Because I'd imagine there would be people that would be getting frustrated, that you'd get a lot of emails saying, what's happening, what's happening? You know, Um, we didn't actually um, get a lot of emails. Our story is very different because we are very, very transparent about our manufacturing process. We update it at least once a month to our Kickstarter backers. Uh, We definitely, I mean, if you scroll through our campaign, it's, it's pretty transparent and we also keep we just keep accountable Mm, yeah that is good I think I think anybody that I've spoken to though that has run a a crowdfunding campaign they they never make their their, their, there's always been delays I think I I personally haven't spoken to anyone that has you know shipped on time which is which is something that people do not I don't know like did, did you I'm curious did you guys 
account for like, you know, we think it'll take this amount of time, let's double it? Or can you give us a little bit of an insight to the timing? Sure. The insight to the timing was what we estimated everything would take. We asked our factories, give us an estimate. How much, how long would this take? And then we took it at face value. Hmm. This machine had never been made on planet Earth. So there was no way to truly get the best estimate mm. for the machine. We based it off of what we could, which is the advice from experts. And during that period in China, because you said that uh, Kickstarter doesn't pay your bills or pay, allows you to pay yourself a wage, two years in China is a long time. What did you guys do to fund yourself? Is this during the period where you, know, you guys were struggling? I think no matter what, even if you raise $20 million or you have zero money in the bank, a startup is always a struggle. Mm. <laughs> but I'm sure you know great entrepreneurship. It's not about how much money you have. It's about your team. And our team was pretty tight. You know, we could handle, could handle a lot of things together. So let's fast forward to now. Like how's, how's it all going? How many units have you sold? And what, what happened, what's happened since your second crowdfunding campaign? Why did you do your second one? I'm, I'm curious around that too. Well, we, we debated it, but it was like, you know, let's see from our core base of people whether or not they want this. Pretty straightforward and simple of why we chose to do our second crowdfunding campaign. I see. So it was exactly the same product. It was already engineered, but you just... Use the it's, crowdfunding. it's a completely different product. Okay. I mean, it does the same thing, but it's a completely different. We don't use the same tools. We need new tooling. It clips onto the front of the pot. It has a bigger screen. It is Wi-Fi connected. Oh, wow. I see. So and you can cook with the cloud now. And wow. I can be basically in the kitchen with you by proxy through Wi-Fi. Wow, that's so cool. So if you were at work, you could turn on your slow cooker. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's amazing. And I'm curious, do you still sell both versions of your product? You can pre-order the new Wi-Fi version yes. on our website, and you can buy our original version. I see. Wow. And, yeah, let's let's talk about, um, you know, how's the business going today? Like, how's the growth going? What are your plans for the future? The business, you know, now we – our eight people in the office, our office is getting a little small. <laughs> um, we've shipped over 7,000 units. They're in the wild. People are using them. Chefs, top chefs are using them. You know, mm. we, ma we made this machine for the most creative people in the world. And it is such, it, it's such a joy to see what they create on Instagram. You know, we, we own the hashtag yoke porn on Instagram. You should check it out. <laughs> Yeah, I will. <laughs> and uh, let's see, we what else going on? We are, you know, we're just heads down. We have to ship our Wi-Fi, our Wi-Fi machine in the spring. So that's what we're working on. And we're working on this software layer that makes it easier to cook and connect with people around you who are awesome and love food because people who love food are the best people. Yeah. It's a massive movement, this foodie movement, hey? Like, um, absolutely. It's, it's a huge revolution and, and it's indicative of, it's indicative of people wanting to eat really great food. It's connected yeah. to sustainable agriculture. 
Because that's the thing, right? Like, you could go out, like, you know, me and my girlfriend are tonight for a really expensive dinner, or you could alternatively, you know, just appreciate the joy of cooking. And that's something I personally need to get better at myself. You know, you are, believe it or not, you are already a great chef. It's inside of you. You just don't have the right tools yet. Hmm. Okay. Well, um, look, we have to work towards wrapping up, Lisa. I, I think we've really delved deep and I've unpacked a lot. Is there anything that you would like to share, like any questions that I you wanted me to ask you that I haven't asked you? You know, what would your advice be to, you know, aspiring and early stage novice entrepreneurs? Hmm. Uh, is that don't become an entrepreneur unless it's the only thing in the world you can do. If you suck at everything else, become an entrepreneur. I mean, it's, it's, yes, it's a, it's a joke, but at the same time, I, I do mean it because this life is so uniquely painful that you have to want it with all of your heart. Like you have to be emotionally behind it. Don't be an entrepreneur as a business exercise. You know, if you're the kind of person who thinks all of life is a chess game, you shouldn't be an entrepreneur. <laughs> if you're not passionate about what you're about to sell, then you shouldn't do it. That was awesome. I, um, I really feel you there because I think the difference between the people that make it and the ones that don't is just this one simple thing. You just described it then it's, it's the, it's the people that want it bad enough. They just do whatever it takes. So, and at the same time, if you want it bad enough, that's not a guarantee for success, but at least if you wanted it bad enough, you gave it a fucking shot mm. and that counts for a lot. If you don't want it bad enough and you fail, you're not going to feel good. You might never feel good again. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's inspiring. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, this is, you're really funny. Thank you. Okay. Well, yeah, look, was there any, was there anything else that you'd like to touch on? Cause I think we really, we really covered a lot there. We unpacked a lot. You know, I really like to hear the marketing strategies, but it sounds like, you know, you, you're hitting up influencers, the product speaks for itself. You, you're just hustling really hard that I don't know if you've got any, I guess, is there anything that you know that no one else gets as well as you do in terms of marketing? I wish I knew traditional marketing better, honestly. All I know is to zero in on people who care. I guess if this is a if this is a thing, I zero in on people who care and then just basically ignore everybody else who don't care. And if you care about my product, I will make sure to bend over backwards and make you happy. But if you don't care about sous vide and you don't want to learn, then I'm not going to waste any time. Mm. And how, how do you find the people that care out of curiosity? I search on social media. I'm like, who's posting good photos that mm. I want to eat? Who, you know, who tweets about the new hot restaurants? Or I get out a lot, you know, and I want to eat that new hot dish. And I want to go in the kitchen and talk to the chef. You know, these are great examples. Because you're really going out there and finding your starving crowd, literally. <laughs> yes. Yes, and actually it's like there's a lot of physical labor involved 
you just have to drink a cup of coffee <laughs> <laughs> and get it. Mm. Okay. Well, look, this was, this was an awesome conversation, Lisa. I really enjoyed speaking with you. This was really fun. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.